This is Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to The Bike Show. Red light at the stoplight. You know the green light is for the go. This is The Bike Show. My name's Jack Thurston. Thanks to Paul and Art Rocker for an hour and a half of fine music. But now we're going to be turning our thoughts and attentions to physics, philosophy and psychology. We're going to be talking about cyclists and red lights, the rights and wrongs, the energy, the the speed, the momentum of whether we should or should not go through red lights joining me in the studio to discuss this um this burning issue it's been an issue that's been burning on the twitter for the last uh, few uh, days and also on the bike show web page is um nigel warburton and mark mirdovnik um, nigel warburton is senior lecturer in philosophy at the open university he's best known for his introductory philosophy books philosophy the basics thinking from a to z philosophy the classics Freedom, an introduction with readings and the art question. And he's also host of the excellent Philosophy Bites podcast, which I know a lot of listeners to The Bike Show also listen to um, on the podcast there. Joining Nigel is Mark Mirdovnik, who is head of the Materials Research Group at King's College London. Mark's main research expertise is in self-healing materials and biological tissues. He's also a cyclist. I don't know if those two facts are... (laughs) Are connected. I know Nigel could certainly do with some self-healing tissues in his knee after a prang he had earlier in the year. Um, Mark is the author of a book about instruction manuals and appears regularly in print and radio. He's also no stranger to the airwaves on Resonance FM, having taken part in the Free University of the Airwaves a little while ago. And his talk um, as part of that season on how to make the perfect cup of coffee was, I think it's safe to say, among the station's all-time most popular broadcasts. So welcome both to The Bike Show. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did you come on your bikes today? Okay, I cycled to the train station, yes. I'm afraid, I, I'm afraid I'm guiltily saying I didn't. I live around the corner from here and I ambled along in these cold, icy days. Yeah, fair enough. It is cold. I was wearing a hat today and I thought I needed a warmer hat. So when you know you need a warmer hat than the one you're wearing, you know it is cold. Okay, well, before we get into the moral philosophical dimension and the psychology of red lights, um, let me start by asking Mark to explain a little bit of the uh, the underlying physics um, of why we cyclists feel it's so horrible to have to stop at, at, at junctions, um, whether it's a red light or whether it's a giveaway sign. Why do we feel like, oh, God, if anything, if I can do anything to keep going, I would? Well... Okay, so as every cyclist knows, I mean, there's, there's two things you gain once you start um, cycling along a road or down a track or in any way go, get going. One is that you get speed, and this gives you momentum. 
And and the great thing about wheels is that <laughs> it preserves your momentum for a long time, much longer than, than, than legged animals. So off you go. You've got speed. You've got momentum. And as long as you can, you can keep at the same speed by just injecting a little bit of, of energy from your legs. And, and that's why cycling is so efficient. So it's about uh, it's the same amount of energy as, as keeping a 100-watt light bulb going. Um, which is incredible, thinking, you know, you can kind of compete with a car in, t- in a town, you can get somewhere just as fast, um, which uses, you know, a thousand times more energy. The other thing you gain when you're cycling is you gain balance over something that's two-wheeled, which is very, very counterintuitive and odd. And personally think this is probably the biggest factor in this debate. And it doesn't seem to have come up on any of the blogs, which is this, that it's very hard to balance a bike when it's stationary. It's almost impossible. There are some people who can do standing starts and stands, and, and they're very, very talented people in my view because I can't do it, and I've tried for ages because it's really cool. But, um, but once you get going above about five miles an hour, the bike seems, and in fact there is evidence, that it balances itself. And that's partly due to a gyroscopic effect, but mostly what it is due to is the fact that you can, you can steer the bike and actually, what you're doing is is steering it so that it's always balanced. That's mostly what goes on, um, and that is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And when you stop at a red light, you lose both of those two things. You lose your energy, which you're going to have to regain by putting it in with your legs, but you also lose that beautiful sense of balance. Okay, well, let's deal with the energy and the speed first. I mean, are there any estimates that have been made of the kind of overall? Uh, speed disadvantage of somebody who stops when they're meant to stop um, as against somebody who doesn't? Well, I mean, of course, it all, it all depends on how often you stop and for how long. And it, it's, it's difficult to kind of do any study that's meaningful. But I mean, it's clear that people who stop more than people who don't stop at lights are going to be slower. And that's absolutely sure. And you're, and you're definitely going to use more energy. Although I think the people who go on about the energy stuff usually tend to be the people who, are, who, 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 who say they cycle partly because of the fitness function, which in, in my mind makes no sense then, right? I mean, if, you, if you're doing cycling because it makes you fit, then you shouldn't be worried that it's going to make you lose energy by stopping. Um, so that, that's one side of it. And, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a point I made on the blog post that I put up um, last week that maybe for people, uh, you know, who, who are doing, you know, want to con- consider their commute to work as a bit of training, actually stopping uh, may, uh, you know, add to their, to their cardiovascular workout. Yeah, and I, I, I suppose the losing time thing is the factor. And, I, and I, from personal experience of, of blowing red lights, it's always at a time when I am in a rush and I... I make the decision, I make the risk assessment <laughs> uh, about how embarrassed I'm going to be by getting there late or how, what I'm going to lose financially by getting there late or morally <laughs> and, 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 and what I will lose if I get caught busting the red light or I get hit or cause some accident to someone else. So let me just ask, is there any difference in the penalty that a cyclist pays for stopping compared to a, the penalty that a, another road user, a, a driver or a walker pays? In, in physics terms. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a walker essentially is losing most of their... I mean, there's a certain amount of momentum walking, but you, you lose a hell of a lot of it, actually, every step. Um, so you, you, you can bound along, but stopping and starting as a walker is not, is, not, is not a huge impediment to you because essentially the nature of the activity is that um, it, it doesn't preserve its momentum very well. Um, but if you, but I mean, momentum is everything for a bicycle. Rolling wheels. As soon as you stop the rolling wheels, then you lose that momentum, and you have to you have to regain it. And for a car driver, they're just spending a little bit more gas. Of course, petrol. Yes, exactly. I mean, 
I mean, one can look at it in a global perspective and say that actually, uh, given that 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 car drivers, when they stop, it's actually worse for the world than when, when cyclists stop. Because when cyclists stop, they're such an efficient form of transport that it's not going to burn up much energy in global terms. But a car stopping actually uses a lot of oil and petrol. And it should be more efficient if cars weren't to stop. So if you really a thinking physicist and you want to preserve the world's uh, you know, climate and you believe that uh, climate change is caused by combustion of or increase in carbon dioxide, then actually you should be advocating that it's the cars you shouldn't stop. And well, like yeah, I'm, se- I'm sensing a little bit of utilitarianism coming in there. Uh, not, Nigel, there's a sort of philosophic calculus going on, is that right? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think... There's I mean, about stuff, thinking so. about all our all the consequences of our actions. If we're going to start thinking about a few of the consequences of our actions, we should perhaps think about all of them. But but before we come to you, I just want to play a short clip, which is from the very first episode of the Bike Show, way back in the summer of two thousand and four. And and I rode with Mark Ellen, who is editor of the Word magazine, on his daily commute from Chiswick to Islington. And this is what he had to say about red lights. If you're a cyclist, it's a great temptation. If it's a you know red light and clearly nobody's coming and no one's going to be a complete idiot and cross when uh, it's going to endanger yourself or somebody else, but clearly if it's a red light, you know the, the the laws of the bicycle says, you know if you're not putting people out, go for it. So what's your position on the, My on the red light? My position is with a red light. If I think it's safe, I do this kind of shrug, a kind of shrugging, palms up, turned manoeuvre and mug furiously at the people behind me as if to say, look, it's just not my fault, I'm on a bicycle and I'm in a hurry. And uh, so by, by way of an apology and, and proceed apace. So Nigel, I, I, what do you think of that? I mean, Mark is first of all saying that he's doing it in a considerate way. Um, he's not going to blast through regardless. He's, he's just basically going to say, well, look, there's one rule for you guys and there's one rule for me. And, and I'm sorry about that, but that's just the way it is. Well, it'd be interesting to see if he did the same thing in a car. Um, what's the special nature of a cyclist that they're allowed to do this calculation, this risk analysis? We would probably think quite badly of a car driver who did that. I mean, I'd be really interested to know why cyclists feel the right to do this. And one aspect of it clearly is they don't feel that they're so dangerous um, when they're moving, they're not really uh, capable of causing much harm. But actually, we know that cyclists can knock people over. You don't always make a good risk assessment of, of, of danger. So there is a risk associated, even when you think the road's clear, because pedestrians around you may not realise that you're going to shoot the lights. But there's a further thing, you know, how, how once you start down that road of, of going through red lights... Does that mean it's that much easier just to ignore lights when it's convenient for you, when it could be dangerous? I mean, as soon as you've got that self-serving justification, well, I'm in a hurry, does that mean the next red light, you think, well, it's just a red light because I, c- I can shoot this, it's either or, it doesn't really matter. Is there anything in the essence of the law that says we have a moral duty to obey it? Or is it really case by case? What I would say is that a lot of cyclists act as if they're performing some kind of um, uh, acts of civil disobedience. They're trying to say that, look, this isn't really a just law. It's a law that was created for motorists and doesn't really apply to cyclists. We're more like pedestrians anyway. We can just go through these when it suits us. Um, But I don't think they're completely sincere in that because if you want to draw attention to an unjust law, the best way to do do it is to campaign to have a mass rally going through red lights or something like that, not just be somebody late for work who then tells himself, oh, this is, you know, I'm, it's an unjust law, I'll break it anyway. So what, what's the, 
thinking behind unjust and just laws and are, are the different moral stance that we should take towards them? And, and how do we decide what law is just or unjust? Is that just something that we, 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 we can assert ourselves and that the political process will decide and at the end of the political process you get a body of law? Is that how it works? Is that where our laws come from or is there, or is there some morality here? What I understand by morality is this idea that you don't make a special case for yourself that what you're doing is saying, you know, we, my actions are to some degree universalizable. that everybody else in similar situations should, should do the same kind of thing. That's what morality is about, considering other people's interests as well. So there's two key features of a, a moral approach to life would be that you, you don't treat yourself as always um, following your own desires and acting them out regardless, and you take account of other people's interests. Now, in here, it seems to me that you couldn't advocate a general law that um, it's a better world in which cyclists shoot red lights. You know, that if everybody did that, that would be okay. Because there's a huge um, variation in people's ability to assess the risks they're taking. And there's a lot of scope for, as I've said, um, rationalisation, that people tell themselves a story to justify an action, which is really just a selfish one. So are you really saying that, you know, you're going down a hill in the countryside and there's a, there's a traffic light there, there's nobody coming, there's, there's, that you could, you've got a perfectly clear view, you're on your bicycle, flying down this hill, enjoying the wind in your hair, you're going to stop at that light um, because, it, uh, it's to say, it's a pedestrian crossing. Compared to when you're in a car and you, and you might feel a, a stronger obligation to stop um, on that mark. Do, do you have a point on that one? Or, or I'm going to put that to both of you. I mean, I think there's a personal. I mean, from a physics point of view, it seems to me more more that you'll you'll have a greater internal debate about that the the, the faster you're going, and that's because um, your kinetic energy is is mass times your velocity squared. So the faster you're going, you know the the you know the square of that is proportional to your energy, and 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 you have an appreciation of how much energy you've got, and it it's quite. A personal energy that's been built up must feel a little bit like your own energy, even though you, you've got it from going down this hill. So, so I can see that the faster you're going, and and the and the more uh, the lower risk you perceive it to be, I can see why you would err towards blowing the red light. But when you're on a bicycle, compared to when you're in a car, approaching the same in the thought experiment, approaching the same. Um, you know, pedestrian crossing with a with a with a with a red light. There's nobody there. Um, Nigel, you really would approach them in exactly the same way, and you just draw to a halt on your bicycle um, as you would in your car. Um, it depends what mood I'm in, I guess. Uh, I certainly have gone gone through red lights in, in a bicycle, but never in a car. I think often there are cameras there as well, so there's a, a risk to yourself with a car you're not identifiable as a cyclist so that may be that anonymity is a factor in people's so decision so if you can get away that. with breaking a law then you're more likely to break it well it's like the cloak of gyges and uh, plato talks about this you know there's a, a character who says if you had this cloak you could put on which made you invisible you know anybody would act immorally they'd rape they'd steal they'd do all these awful things it's only the chance of other people seeing us that that makes us act morally. Now, Plato discounts that view, but it's the view that some people hold, that it, social pressure, the ability for other people to see us, that look at the other is what, is what makes us conform to, to with, with local morality. 
Well, we heard from uh, Mark Ellen earlier in the show. Um, let's hear now um, from a, a clip from a rolling interview the following year um, with Buffalo Bill Chidley, a long-time London bicycle messenger and friend of the bike show. Let's listen to what he had to say on the issue. I bitterly resent having to stop at red lights. Bitterly, because they're only, they're only invented for motorcars. They shouldn't apply to us. I mean, you know, I accept that we have to obey the law. I don't accept all the rest of that nonsense about, you know, we should all stop at them because otherwise car drivers have an excuse to hate us. That's crap. Motorists break the law all the time and nobody thinks any the less of the motoring public because of it. I mean, you know, look around. People are on their mobile phones. People are pulled over stop lines. That just... I just find that argument so annoying. Is this, is this, you think this is a bit of self-hate coming through from the cyclists? Oh, man, everyone hates cyclists. Cyclists even. hate cyclists even more than everyone else. And it just, like, come on, guys, give yourselves a break. Why the hell are you going on about it all the time? Find something else to, to talk about. Why, why are we in that area of debate? Well, that was Buffalo Bill. And anyone who heard the recent episode of The Thick of It will have recognised a line in there. Good to see that they're getting their scripts by listening to The Bike Show. Um, Bill is making a bunch of points there. Do you want to try and unpick them? Well, one of them is about excuses, isn't it? Look, when you make an excuse, you might be doing it to display something to other people. You're sort of showing, oh, you know, I've, I've broken the law here. And... The excuse is other people break the laws in other ways. Now, that might be a way of displaying just how anarchic you are, or um, it may also be an expression of powerlessness that a cyclist has in relation to car drivers. So this is about the only thing they can do that will knock a car driver, isn't it? So this is a a great way to show that you're not a kind of ineffectual being. To to defend that line of thinking, I, I think he was actually not saying this is something that we can do to annoy people. I think he was saying don't buy the argument which says you have a duty to um, not go through red lights and to obey every traffic rule because otherwise car drivers will dislike you. He says that, you know, law-breaking car drivers are not um, disapproved of and and anyway, they're going to dislike you anyway because you're a cyclist. They'll think of something else to get you for because you're not wearing nice clothes or because you're sweaty or whatever. Sure, but that doesn't make you moral in doing it. You may decide to do that. But saying that other people break the law doesn't justify you breaking the law. No, in- indeed not. But it does take on the argument that... Se- because there was this Stop at Red campaign a few years ago that said, you know, we all ought to take care of the image of cycling by presenting a good image of cycling, that we are upright citizens um, and, and, that, and that a few people, you know, giving us a bad name is bad for all of us. Well, this, you know, we get collective punishment on, because there's a few people who, who um, irritate um, other people. But, but the, the, the counter argument from Bill is that, look, there's a deeper stuff here um, that, that they're going to get you for something. You know, so don't, don't, don't roll over on this one. Stand up and fight for your rights. Well, look, lots of cyclists. I live in Oxford. Lots of cyclists there, probably the majority, don't use lights. Now, that's a certain degree of risk taking, like shooting a red light. I wouldn't advocate either. I mean, I think they both carry a risk, and they carry a risk not just to the cyclist, who's very vulnerable, but to other people around them, and to um, sensitive car drivers who swerve out of the way so they don't hit the, hit the cyclist and may hit somebody else. I mean, the evidence isn't there, really, that this is a sort of serious problem on our roads, I'm afraid. Mark, do you think that this... What's the, what's, what's, why is this 
become such a kind of totemic issue if it's if the evidence really isn't there that it's um, you know a major burden on the NHS um, and that's something that ought to be occupying the the the, the column inches and the and the and the airwaves as um, it is tonight. I think my, my opinion on that is that um, I think people blame red light in general. The way I see it means it shows that they're not very good at risk analysis. <laughs> And um, I'm not saying everybody is. Obviously, there's a massive spectrum out there. There's people who will only do it when there's absolutely nothing coming and it's, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. That's, that's, kind of, that's me, basically. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's... All, yeah. so well, and a little bit of... A little bit if, it, if it's a left turn and it looks okay and there's a HGV behind me and I don't want to be mown down by the HGV when the lights go green, I'll just um, look after myself. Okay, yeah. yeah. And there's a whole lot of cyclists who, as you say, do very complex risk analysis. I don't, wanna, I don't want to do them down either because I know there's a whole lot of people who, who actually will take into account the fact that they're hemmed in, it's dark, they haven't got lights for whatever reason, so they think, actually, this is then my best course of action. But I, I think that people overestimate, in general, their ability to do risk analysis, and they certainly overestimate their ability to do it at speed and in the dark and in bad weather. Um, and I think these things generally contribute to accidents more than people will be willing to admit. They will not willing to admit their inability to assess risk. Um, and when you when you try to pin down how to assess risk and how people do it, if they were really to tell you all their reasons for why they blew a particular red light, and we've all seen horrendous examples of it where people have either just got away with it or I've seen people who haven't got away with it, uh, you think, my God, that was an appalling risk to take. And what was going through your head? Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is momentum is king on the road, right? The bigger you are, the better you are. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's a funny fact that... that um, <laughs> You know, that, that, that the reason why big cars are so popular is because people intuitively know um, that, that if you're in a big car, you're going to be safer. And, you're, and it's true. It's just true. The more momentum you've got, the less likely you are going to be injured. Right? Other people will be injured in the crash, but you will be less likely. But then we get a kind of escalation and an arms race, right? Right, exactly. Well, but, but cyclists are at the bottom of that end of that pile. And I think part of the... Um, obviously, that leads to a certain set of people who are, um, I think... Um, it, you have to be slightly kind of br- have a lot of chutzpah to, to survive, and so you perhaps are a more risk taking lot. Currently, there's a there's a debate going on in Transport for London, and the mayor has made a proposal that cyclists be allowed to turn left on red um, when they're not going through um, you know someone else's priority. And there's also just been announced, I think, six streets in the city of London where the Corporation of London that runs that part of town have allowed cyclists to ride the wrong way down one-way streets which is allowed in many other um, places brussels is the place where i go often and and you can ride down all one-way streets on a bicycle and it says you know one way except for cyclists how do bad laws or ineffective laws or dangerous laws get changed into good laws and does civil disobedience have a role to play in that or is it in the political process nigel well i just thought cyclists can campaign in Britain pretty effectively, given that we've got some very prominent MPs cycling, for a start, and shooting lights. Um, but I don't think that's just the issue in, in these cases. It's partly a communication thing. Look, if you're in a situation where you can anticipate people coming the wrong way up a one-way street on bicycles, that's very different from it being just an occasional thing. So you're expecting to, as a motorist, you're expecting to encounter them. So it's not it's not just like... Um, the present situation with people coming at you, okay, um, it, it's very different when, when you're driving down a one-way street and suddenly a cyclist comes at you without, without lights. That's quite a scary thing as a motorist because you risk 
knocking them off, perhaps. Um, so I think you, should, you, you can't treat them as, as parallels there. But the point I was trying to get at is how do laws change? Yeah, sure. Well, all, different, all kinds of different ways. Sometimes because um, they're recognised um, to be ineffectual. Sometimes because there's been a, a campaign against the law. But isn't one and of the sometimes ways... Sometimes because it's a campaign of civil disobedience. Yeah. But for something to be civil disobedience, first of all, it's most clear that you're, you're performing an act of civil disobedience when you personally don't stand to gain from breaking the law that you're doing to draw attention to the unjust law. So if you are pro-drugs and you want the laws changed on drugs, the best way to change that through civil disobedience isn't to go out and smoke a lot of drugs in front of policemen. Um, what is the best way? Well, the better way is to, is to, is to have some kind of mass trespass or some non-violent... Um, non-aggressive sort of way of, of drawing attention to the unjust law because you're not look if you're if you stand to gain you know you're enjoying your drug in front of the policeman that is you know look, it, it's ambiguous what you're doing you're not just drawing attention to an unjust law you're actually exploiting what you personally will get out of breaking that law so with cyclists if you're late for work and you shoot a red light don't classify that as an act of civil disobedience that's self-interest is that that's fair, not a moral is that fair mark I, I mean, personal experience is, is that spot on, I, I, you know, and, and, and in fact, I'm when I when I've blown a few red lights in a day because I've been in a busy and then and then later on in the day, I start I start not doing it because I'm now no longer in a rush. The, then I get this massive guilt that I'm not consistent. Like I, I blew them this morning. Now, why am I not blowing them now? And, and, I, and I start looking at myself and I realise that, that, that my rationale this morning, which, which seemed so gloriously clear to me, um, becomes not so clear is, now. Is consistency something we ought to aim for in our moral <laughs> actions? I mean, there's a lot of talk. There's um, that new book about political hypocrisy and why it's actually a good thing by, um, what's his name? You've probably had him on your show. Um, he's always on Start the Week. Um, the, uh, anyway, but it, it, can we, is it justifiable to be a hypocrite? I don't think it's the worst sin in the world. I mean, hypocrites are sometimes... Is it, is it expedient to be hypocritical sometimes? Does it make the world just work along a little bit better? Well, I mean, hip- hypocrisy is a matter often of, of preaching one thing, doing another. We do things sometimes because we're weak-willed. I mean, we may really want to do the right thing, but still slip. All right. Well, any last words, well, I Mark? Mean, I have to say, the, the, the people who haven't been mentioned so far are the pedestrians. Uh, in this debate, and or, or perhaps they have a little bit, but but they are also mostly hypocritical, <laughs> in my view, on this subject. There's a lot of harm waving and, and and fist waving about that, but they 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 do just as much of their own blowing of red lights, but you know, weaving through traffic, stationary traffic, which I find uh, just as dangerous. <laughs> Nigel, go on, get it off your chest. I know people who've been knocked over by cyclists, and I've dodged cyclists who've done dangerous things. You know, there's a whole range of cyclists. Some of the some of them are uh, like you, some aren't, and the ones like you are probably okay. Okay, well that's that's a fantastic note to end the show on. Thank you very much to Mark Miadovnik and Nigel Warburton. It would be great to have you on the show to develop some of these issues a little bit um, in the future. And uh, this is the last. Uh, show in the current year but not the current season the show will be continuing back um, in January in the new year so One Life Left is up next if you're listening on a Monday night if you're listening to the repeat on a Saturday you're just about to hear OST from me Jack Thurston thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>